0: Blue Iron. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers.
1: Kawhi turns the corner for the win! We got it! Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! Lou Williams
0: for the win! There you go! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Clip and Roll. I'm your host, Justin Russo. And joining me once again is my esteemed uh, special guest, Shane Young of Forbes Sports. Shane, you've been logging the frequent flyer miles. You're now back in Los Angeles for game six on Friday. What's what's life up in the air at 30,000?
1: Life is kind of miserable whenever you are flying that often, that frequently. So I, I, I'm kind of, to be honest with you, inviting the summer break, as I think you are, too, with all these vicious video breakdowns you've had to put out.
0: Uh, Yeah, the video breakdowns are killing me. Have you seen the George Clooney movie Up in the Air?
1: Yes, I have. I saw it maybe two years after it came out, and I have no recollection of it.
0: So he plays that guy who gets like that, like special vip card because he like gets the most like frequent flyer miles or something doesn't
1: he fall in love with the assistant no.
0: uh no 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 he falls in love with vera farmiga's character
1: got it okay george clooney yeah legend
0: so yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting actually um but it, it just reminded me of like flying the friendly sky is a thirty thousand feet <laughs> logging frequent flyer miles you're basically just george clooney and up in the air well, as The I best said, well, part about that movie, by the way, the, the, I don't mean to cut you off, but the best part about that movie is he takes around a cardboard cutout of his sister and her husband, and her husband in that movie is uh, Danny McBride. Why do you know these things? Because I, I love movies. I, if there's a movie that is at least mildly interesting that I've seen before, I will put it on while I zone out and do stuff on my
1: laptop. Movies or WWE pay-per-views, what is better?
0: Movies for me, although I will say putting on old WWE pay-per-views and like half paying attention and then hearing the commentary that was very problematic back then that I didn't think was problematic, but obviously in hindsight is very problematic, is quite the cultural experience for me.
1: Uh, I'm just going to say we've already gone off the rails, but I'm just going to say Taz and uh, Paul Heyman might be the guys that lead that in terms of problematic commentary.
0: Oh no, Jerry Lawler was worse. Like oh, Jerry. Yeah,
1: forget about Jerry.
0: Jerry okay. was it's bad. You want a bad one? Go watch like Royal Rumble 2000. It's oh <laughs> my god, it's some of the most problematic stuff I've ever heard in my life, and I cannot believe. <laughs> although I guess I can based on Vince McMahon that it actually got the,
1: the actual world. Rumble match or or like a no, a no just go through the
0: whole pay per view. The whole pay per view okay. is worth it. It's a very it. good pay per view, but just listen to his commentary and you'll know what exact part i'm talking about because you cannot miss it he's actually in the ring when he says
1: it it's um Ooh. it's it is it is wild times but um so speaking anyways, of wild times uh, speaking of wild times your buddy tomare our buddy tomare our good friend Tomer... Um, it's not my good Tomer. friend yeah okay well I'm i hope he hears kidding. this i hope he hears this and never talks to you again but uh told pretty much told me on twitter that going to LAX is not the best way to do it. Uh, when you're coming into LA or I guess leaving LA and I got to pick a different airport, I guess.
0: Yeah. You got to go to Burbank.
1: Okay. Noted.
0: But it's harder when you're coming from further away, the further away you come from, like, so like, uh, like if you're coming anywhere outside of like, I guess like the time zone area, mm-hmm. it's going to be tougher to get Burbank flights. And they'll probably just reroute you to LAX anyways. It's it's just the easier way to go in terms of like oh. scheduling. But Burbank is just far easier. It's a lot simpler. It's a lot more less crowded. Oh yeah, it's it's great. Um Got it. Like whenever I would have to fly from uh from SoCal to uh, Northern California, or if I had to go to Phoenix to see family, um, I would always fly out of Burbank. Uh, the only time I really flew out of LAX is if I had to go like back east or something.
1: You learn something new every day on the Clip and Roll podcast. So, yeah, not for me mostly though. Um.
0: Anyways, these last forty-eight hours, we might as well just hop into this. We've wasted enough time. These last forty-eight hours have been an absolute whirlwind of emotions and um feelings and just everything. I I I really don't know how to sum it up accurately so I'm just going to go through the timeline, okay? <sighs> Monday night, the Clippers win game 4. In the final like 5 or 6 minutes, Kawhi Leonard tweaks his right knee. He flexes it, but he stays in the game for the next 50 seconds of game time. He even takes a jumper he even takes free throws. He's on defense, moving around well. He's doing all these sorts of things. That there's even a timeout taken in the game, and he comes back onto the floor to continue playing. And then he come then he checks out for what was deemed, I guess, based on like uh common sense was just precautionary reasons. You know, they were up by like 15 or 16. There's no reason to really leave him in the last five minutes if he's already kind of. Like seem like he's like a little bit gimpy, but even if he was moving well, you want to take it easy on him. So he comes out, no trainers, no medical staff, nothing come up to like, check him out to make sure he's okay. So that kind of tells you like, oh, he thinks he's fine. So that's no big deal. Clippers go on to win game four. He gets asked post game by Rebecca Harlow on the court and he gets asked post game by Tomer. Uh, in the post-game presser about his knee, and he says he's good. He says he's fine. He says he's good. Move on to the next question. We're all thinking he's well and good. Kawhi tells you he's good. What else are you going to like? You're not going to sit there and argue with him. Tuesday comes around, does not show up on the injury report. Not at all. We do the podcast on Tuesday, you and I, uh, talking about the first four games and profiling game five. We briefly mentioned at the end of the podcast, if I remember correctly, that Kawhi tweaked his knee, but it seems like he's okay because he wasn't listed on the injury report. We come to find out why on Wednesday. Wednesday was a hectic day in the NBA, and it started with the news that Kawhi Leonard was out for game five with what was deemed to be a right knee injury. Uh, There's been it's been all over the map of what actually it is. Some reports have it as an ACL injury. Other reports have it as a right knee sprain. The Clippers have officially listed it as a right knee sprain. What ended up happening, and the reason he wasn't on the injury report uh, Tuesday, even though he traveled, or even though the team traveled to Salt Lake City, is because Kawhi Leonard traveled with the team on Tuesday to Salt Lake City. However, the swelling in his knee that he thought was going away did not go away. So he then had to fly back to Los Angeles on Wednesday morning. And that's when the news broke that he was actually not able to play game five in Utah. He tells teammates on Tuesday night after they got to the, uh, to Salt Lake city that he will not be able to play. The news coming in is that he's going to be out for the rest of the series, at least the rest of the series. We don't know what type of knee injury it is. We don't know if it's a full ACL tear, although to be honest with you, it doesn't seem like it is, but I don't want to say it's not and then you know, you never know, but it doesn't seem it's a full ACL tear. They've kept they've kept calling it an a, a, a right knee sprain, which usually means like a grade 1 or a grade 2. They're still doing tests. The fact that we haven't had an actual result on the tests is kind of telling. Cause they're still waiting for swelling to go down and you can do tests to tell you if it is an ACL injury, even before you get to that point of further testing. So he's out for game six, game six on Friday. When you're listening to this is the day of the game six. He's out for the game. He's going to be out for the rest of the series. There's no telling when he actually will return. The team doesn't know. He doesn't know. A lot of stuff is still in flux. I don't know if I like summed everything up, but I feel like I did a decent enough job.
1: Yeah, you did an exceptional job. Uh, I was just going to say when he planted on that right leg, um, right foot, and then it was obviously he was, he grimaced immediately and he was in pain. It's one of the first times I've ever seen him like react that way, Uh, go off to the sideline, kind of bend down, uh, rub that right knee, and uh you know hobble hobble around the bench area a little bit but i think it's worth mentioning again like he stayed in the game he you know for a little bit for what another minute longer was it 1 minute
0: uh 50 seconds officially on the game clock
1: yeah and to my eyes at least told me that it, it he looked fine after that he was running uh at normal Kawhi Leonard speed. It's not going to be fast. It's not going to be really, really slow, but it's going to be normal. And, uh, he was jumping for rebounds. He was playing hard defense. He even fell to the ground on one possession and got up. Uh, obviously his teammates helped, helped him up as you do in basketball, but he got up kind of using his own leg power, uh, to a certain extent. So it didn't seem to be a big problem. And then obviously he's on the bench and, I think maybe the Clippers just didn't want to, like, you know, reveal that there might be a problem to Utah that that was watching uh, in that moment. So maybe that's why they didn't have the trainers out there kind of like supporting his knee or or figuring out what was wrong with them. And I'm just going to be honest with you, Justin, like I watching that game. I refuse to believe that it's a major ACL injury just from the sheer standpoint of like, I've never seen a guy on an ACL tear or an ACL injury that's considered bad be able to move around the way he was.
0: I mean, that's one school of thought. Another school of thought is that we've seen guys tear their ACLs and still play for a little bit. Um, Another one is that that fall that you mentioned might actually be where he could have compromised it a little bit more because he kind of crumpled to the ground on a foul, And then he gets up slowly and gingerly and he's at the line and he's flexing his knee again. He's doing all this stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how severe it is. No one knows outside of him and his people and the Clippers, I guess at this point, we'll just wait to see.
1: It feels like we won't even get an update until this series is over. Like that's what it feels like.
0: Yeah. To some degree, that's exactly what it feels like. Um, And look, I understand fans are frustrated because you would like things to be spelled out for you and, you know, everything to be, you know, um, clear in terms of reporting on injuries. But I will tell people this is the team that when Patrick Beverly had fractured his hand and was in the middle of having hand surgery in the morning of a game was listed as questionable. Um It's the same team that ruled. Sergi Baca as doubtful for playoff games is as, as late as game one in Utah, when game one was in Salt Lake city and he was in Los Angeles getting back surgery. So this is nothing new. Their, <laughs> their injury reports are drunk. You cannot go off their injury reports. How many times this season have we gotten to the point of the game is starting and then a guy gets scratched. Remember that yeah. stretch in the year? Like guys were out, like just right after lineup introductions.
1: That was Boston and Washington. That was uh Boston with PG. No Boston with Kawhi. With and the then Washington spasms. was
0: PG, which was the final game before the all-star break. And Ty Lou was pissed because he told the team that these are the games that you, you cannot lose because you'll drop your guard before an all-star
1: break. I remember that. Exactly, And that's when Washington was kind of hot anyway. So, you know, whatever on that one, but I mean, I don't even know, like, I don't even know how we got here. It, it feels, it, it feels to me like it just happened in a blur and now you blink and now Kawhi Leonard is out for potentially the, the rest of the postseason because, you know, we do not want to speculate what it is. Obviously, we already have talked about like the possibilities of, of uh, the reporting that's been out there, but I, I guess just, just going off the timelines of, of, of what you've seen from these type of knee injuries – I mean, there's only there's only three weeks left in the NBA season slash playoffs. I mean, the finals are probably going to end no matter who makes it. The finals will end, you know, around July 22nd. So, I mean, like, no matter what happens with the Clippers fate, it, it doesn't look promising that Kawhi is going to be a part of it.
0: I'm not a doctor. I just play one on a podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah, me too.
0: Um, Game five. They go into Salt Lake, they get the news on Tuesday night. Kawhi is not going to be playing. Wednesday is just a gauntlet of emotions. They're on the road. It's a 2-2 series. It's a swing game. If they win game five on the road in Salt Lake, a place, mind you, that they have not won since April of 2017, they would take firm control of the series even without Kawhi Leonard. And I want to say before we get into the nuts and bolts of this game, this was by far one of the gutsiest performances I've seen by a team in a postseason setting without their best player. And I understand Utah's without Mike Conley, and I understand that Donovan Mitchell's a little banged up, and I understand that like, fatigue is factoring into everybody's play. But the Clippers come out in this game and they hit Utah with a 10 2 run. Um, in fact, For the first time all postseason, the Clippers were the first team to score in a game. Took until game 12, but they did it. They go up 10 to 2. And then Utah just starts making every three that they can conceivably take. Utah goes 17 of 30 from three in the first half. I'm going to repeat that again. 17 of 30. Teams don't even make 17 threes in a game. And they made 17 in 24 minutes. Bojan Bogdanovich somehow just could not miss. I don't care if Will <laughs> Chamberlain was guarding him on the perimeter. It didn't matter. He was pulling up and draining threes. He, he was 7 of 13 in the first half. Go ahead.
1: He had a corner three that he caught and he thought about it for about 4 or 5 seconds and then just launched it and it didn't matter who was in front of him. It it splashed right through the net.
0: It, it I I've run out of words. Like honestly, the pull-up shooting that Utahs had in the series is in, like just incomprehensible. But credit to them. They're making these shots. Even when the Clippers are right there on defense, it doesn't matter. But Bogdanovich is one of the best shooters in the league. And and I got to say, as a fan of basketball, the display that he put on specifically in that first half was one of the greatest shooting displays I've ever seen by a player. The only time I've ever seen players do that is like Steph Curry, Klay Thompson level guys. And he was just turning, rising, firing over the top of people. And it didn't matter.
1: No, it didn't, and you know, it, it kind of, funny enough, reminiscent of that game five. Didn't Luca start six of six from three in game five? Didn't five he? of
0: five or six of six or something it, like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's like man, deja vu. It has just been that that you know it should be the theme of the entire uh, two playoff or two playoff series for the Clippers here because it just has felt like a copycat of each other. Despite obviously the Clippers breaking the curse slash streak whatever you want to call it and actually winning a game five in the second round for the first time in franchise history and they did it when john goble was a referee <laughs> man that just brought up a lot of stuff from the dns that the group dm we have so <laughs> gobble
0: gobble my friend um but look utah goes 17 of 30 on threes in the first half they shot 62.2 percent in the first half and they on- and they only had a five point lead over the Clippers. The Clippers were eight of 18 from three, which is good. And that's like really good. It's 44%. Utah still made nine more threes. They made nine out of the like They took 12 more than the Clippers and made nine of those 12. And the Clippers were only down by five. And it wasn't like the Clippers got to the free throw line an exorbitant amount of times or anything like that. The Clippers just kept grinding. Paul George had 22 in the first half. Reggie Jackson had 10. Marcus Morris had 12. Luke Kennard hit two more threes. He's been great on threes in this series. Um, I mean, he's a good shooter, so you would expect it, but he's been absolutely lights out for them. Terrence Mann gave them solid hustle minutes. Nicholas Batum hit his two threes in the first half, had three steals. Clippers are down five. Clippers are down five at the half when the other team made nine more threes and they had 17 in the half. I've never seen anything like that.
1: Clippers were down five at the half, despite uh, all you know the barrage of shooting. I thought uh, a couple of calls didn't go their way, which you know to be expected. But uh, and then like obviously Rondo comes in. We we see Rondo minutes for the first time and uh, since game one. Yeah, uh, cool. Minus twelve in his nine minutes, but it's like you know it, you could see that you know Ty Lue. Yeah, it's something something I've kind of talked about the last couple of times we we've had podcasts it's like the guy never he never looks afraid it's not the right word he never he never looks concerned like never i mean rattled. he just yeah never rattled at all like that even killed mentality and it's like you know he he just kept on encouraging the guys you could see him every time out you know clapping pretty hard you know he probably leads all nba coaches in claps um so i, I thought I thought Luke Kennard coming in and, and doing what he did in those 20 minutes was was important. Um and, to, and you know Terrence Mann I, th- there isn't there aren't enough words to like depict the story of of Terrence Mann this entire season because you and I and anybody anybody covering the team did did not think that Terrence Mann was going to play 1 minute in the playoffs. But He's he's averaging – or not averaging because he was out of the rotation inexplicably. Now he's back. But 26 minutes on the road for a player that we had zero expectations of before the season and and absolutely just destroying the three-time defensive player of the year when when Gobert closed out on the corner and – Terrence Mann basically said after the game, like I was tired of settling against this guy. Like I, I want to challenge him. I want to get him moving a little bit. Uh, see what I can do with my explosiveness. And that dunk was—it wasn't even really like a, a power slam. He barely dunked it, but but just the the acrobatic finish, like the the uh, the agility to do that. It, it was it was impressive. And his entire season—that's the word that comes to mind—is impressive.
0: Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. Second half, like I said, Clippers are now five at the half. Second half, they really hit a gear. Um, It's aided by the fact that Utah just goes blisteringly cold from three. In the second half, Utah was three of 24 from three. And in the third quarter by itself, they were 0 of 10. They just couldn't make a three. Um, If you look at the law of averages, And you look at the game for Utah, they were 20 of 54 from three, which is 37%, which is really good on that volume. But when you look at their first half compared to their second half, it's like, all right, it really caught up with them. And that's kind of what you have to wait around for. But you also have to push the envelope against them. And I thought the Clippers did that. Yes, they got lucky on some of the wide open threes that Utah missed. But at the same time, they forced Utah to do a lot of tough looks. In the second half, Paul George has 15 points. He has eight rebounds, four assists in the second half as well. Marcus has 13 in the second half. Terrence has 11, makes a three, has the dunk over Rudy, gets to the line several times, really good in the small, small pick and rolls. But the real story might actually be twofold. Number one, Patrick Beverly gives them five points. He hits a big three and he gets a little teardrop over Rudy. Um, In nine minutes, if Pat's giving you five points, that's good. But his defense on Donovan has been really good the last couple games. He just he seems to defend Donovan really well, even dating back to past matchups prior to the series. But the biggest takeaway, Shane, you know, I'm going with it. Come on now. (laughs) Say it. Say it for me. The best two words in sports. The best two words in sports. Big government. That's right. Reggie Jackson. Fourth quarter when the Clippers needed him. Ten minutes. Twelve points four of six shooting makes two threes makes it a ridiculous three in the corner in which upon rewatch was not as contested as I thought it was live live. I thought he was double contested by Mitchell and Gobert, but they both sagged off of him and he got enough space to rise and fire. Jackson has no fear of Rudy Gobert, which is one of the most incredible things I've seen. And I would love to be in the sports psychologist mold to find out if Reggie Jackson consistently attacking Rudy Gobert on switches is also what has allowed the Clippers to be more confident going against Gobert on the switches themselves
1: probably and what what gets me about Reggie is that he's very uh i don't know like very methodical about it like he'll he'll back Rudy out and he'll decide okay I'm I'm going to drive left you know that He'll that give crafty, him looks yeah that crafty layup that he had a reverse look which I I really just did not know how it went in at the time. What was that in the fourth quarter? I can't remember what quarter that was that uh, he had on basically on the perimeter and then drove to the left and finished on the other, on the reverse side of the basket. And so Rudy was I will like,
0: say that video is in my video breakdown. That will be out on Friday <laughs> afternoon.
1: It, it, there was such a tight window and the fact that he got it. And Hey man, like ever since he put the goggles on, there's been nobody better than the NBA. Nobody.
0: I, he's the goggles, the mismatched shoes or the, uh, the, the multicolored shoes, um, the swagger, the carefree attitude. That's my guy.
1: He's starting. He's starting on a title contender. This guy was was considered nobody at the trade deadline slash buyout thing, the buyout market in uh, 2020. And he's starting on a team that could win a title. He outscored Donovan Mitchell in game six. Oh, God. That that's that says it all. Just drop the mic right there, I guess. But uh, can I go back to something you, you were saying about Pat? No. Yes, you can. Hey, damn. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so with Pat, now tell me if you get this feel as well. My feel is when Pat's in the game, Donovan is rushed. And that's why he's that's why Pat is probably the best defender on him because he rushes Donovan into stuff that he probably wouldn't do otherwise.
0: I would agree because Pat's the guy who can chase him over the top of screens the best. And so he forces Donovan to play at a tempo that Donovan, Donovan wants to play at the tempo he's used to, which every player does. It's not, it's not a slight against him. Like Luka wants to play at that slow plotting. Like I'm going to slow everything down and beat you up style. You know, LeBron has his style. Kawhi has a style. PG's got a style. You know, every player has their own style and pace of play. Donovan is no different. I do feel that Pat rushes him. Um, the Clippers have also rushed him with these late blitzes late in the shot clock, six, seven seconds, late blitz him, get the ball out of his hand. He, he's panicking, which yeah. I'd be interested in knowing how much of that is the injury that, that he's dealing with. But the Clippers have also done a very good job of just trying to neutralize him with uh, like they've, they've really found a balance so far. And I understand this could jinx things, but they found a really good balance so far between pressuring him to get the ball out of his hands and pressuring them into tough shots. Like it's been, it's been like a nice balance over the last couple games.
1: Yeah. And I, I, you know, whenever they start blitzing them late or sending those late um, doubles to, to force the ball to Royce O'Neal, to force the ball to even, even if Clarkson's on the, yeah, even if he Clarkson's on the floor and he's shooting, ungodly numbers, which I guess you could bring up or I could bring up on his pull-up numbers, uh, 51.5% I think on pull-up threes and everywhere else he struggles it feels like. So um, it's kind of wild to see. But even when Clarkson gets the ball with with four or or three on the shot clock, I think the Clippers have done a good job of of getting back to him and forcing him to – to penetrate, which the Clippers are, are clapping, you know, on the, on the sideline. If, if Clarkson puts the ball on the floor and attacks, like that, they want that rather than him shooting a three.
0: I mean, their whole thing is like make Clarkson, make Bogdanovich, make O'Neal, make Ingles, put the ball on the floor and get to the, and like make them make decisions. Now Ingles is their best decision maker and their best passer among the players that are available. Um, So him having the ball in his hands as a playmaker and a provider for others isn't actually the worst case scenario, as opposed to like Royce O'Neal, who isn't the decision maker or Clarkson, who's not the passer decision maker. Like you want secondary guys to make reads and and passes that they're not used to. And that's why you do this. And it's just been really interesting to watch. Um, the, The Clippers win this game. They win it by eight, 119, 111. It's close down the stretch. Um, It's a three-point game with eight and a half to go. Reggie Jackson hits a jumper with a defender in his jersey that is utterly absurd um, to give them a five-point lead. Then he comes down and hits a three. They're up seven. And then Batum hits a three. And now they're off of a Jackson assist, mind you. And now they're up 10. So in the span of a couple minutes, about a minute or a half or so, the Clippers lead goes from three to ten because of Reggie Jackson. Essentially, um, it gets back down to three, and then Reggie hits another three, and then Reggie hits a reverse layup. And it's like every time they needed something,
1: Reggie was there. Uh, and did you see those? Did you see those open looks that Reggie had on the catch and shoot? I believe in the fourth quarter, and then Nick Batum had. Uh, maybe one possession after Reggie's that forced a jazz timeout, like just wide open looks.
0: That's also going in my video breakdown on Friday.
1: Hey, I'm still in content. I love this. That's, love this episode. Fine.
0: Bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, and, and actually that segues into something I do want to talk about, which is what my video breakdown is on. But I do want to talk about it because it is a talking point. Rudy Gobert is not the issue for Utah in this series. I know people love picking on him and I'm going to, this is what I want to preface it with. He is not the issue in this series for Utah.
1: Yeah. Do me a when favor off- and tell me, do me a favor and tell me what the, the problem is.
0: Well, well, I'll get to the real problem in a second, but <laughs> the issue isn't, isn't Rudy Gobert specifically because when he's on the floor, they've been fine. Their defensive rating with him on the floor has been fine or fine ish. It's higher than their regular season average because the Clippers are just a machine offensively pretty much no matter who's in, as long as Rondo's not in, which I don't mean to crap on Rondo. It's just the reality of the situation at this point with him and the way that he's played, you know, ever since basically game three of the Dallas series. But when you go ahead and look at Rudy Gobert in the series and you look at the on off data and you look at all these things with Rudy Gobert on the floor, the Utah jazz have only been outscored by two points in 172 minutes. That's fine. The problem is, without him on the floor, it's minus 37 in 68 minutes. Joe Ingles has the wider spread. Uh, Utah's plus 8 with Ingles in 153. They're minus 47 in the 87 minutes without him. Because he's their best ball handler and decision maker, and he's the guy who kind of makes them go in terms of like uh, slowing things down and things of that nature and kind of getting them to go on that end. The problem for Utah is twofold. Number one, Gobert has to be extended to a level. I don't think we've actually seen him get extended to in quite some time. Yes, James Harden and yes, Steph Curry kind of took advantage of him when they would meet in the postseason and yada, yada, yada. This is a little different because it's not a singular guy that's going into pick and rolls and attacking him. The Clippers have spread him out and any little wrong read or wrong step he makes They're killing him in Utah with if he's shading too far to the to the paint, it's an open three for somebody. If he's if he's closing out too hard, someone's going past him for the layup or at least going past him to force the Utah Jazz into rotation and then open three for someone else or they're just getting the switch on him and they're going to work. And it's not Rudy's fault. At the end of the day, if Rudy Gobert is defending one on one against, say, Reggie Jackson or even Paul George, like it's not the end of the world for Utah. Like he's a v- exceptional defender, but he's been stretched to a point. I don't think he's ever been stretched to like, he just played like 41 and a half minutes, which is the most minutes he's played all year. That happened in game five. And what's, what's really going on with Utah is they, you and I talked about this after game four, when we profile game five and the rest of the series, you and I expressly, expressly talked about this at length. They cannot play Derek Favors. They cannot play George Niang. And they cannot play mieoni And the problem is, and this isn't Quinn Snyder's fault, what other options does he have? It's basically at the end of the line now. Your season's yeah. on the line. It was It was someone on the line in Game 5. You couldn't lose that game and give up home court. And you're trotting out. And it's not a ton of minutes. I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, they, they went out there for 20 minutes. No, I mean... When you end up looking at it, George Niang played eight and a half minutes. Derek Favors only played six and a half and Oni played four twenty-one. But when you're losing those minutes by seven points, eight points, and it's a very small allotment of minutes, it ain't great, man.
1: Yeah, and like you lose the game by eight points and, and favors is out there for six and your team is outscored by seven. It's like that that swings it. That 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 makes it a one possession game in theory at the at the end of it. And that, you know, you could you can still win that game. I mean it's it, you know what have we always said? I think uh, actually, I think I think Tom might have might have said this to uh, to PG. Like, get the, these games are are won and lost on the margins. Like on the margins, you're not you're not you're not blowing out teams in the postseason. I guess unless you're the 2017 Warriors or something. I mean, like you're just not going to do that every time. Um, you have to win these road games or you lose these home games if you're Utah. Uh, on the margins by by the minutes that Derek Favors plays, but but as you said, Quinn Snyder has his hands tied. He can't play Rudy forty eight. You know, he, only it seems like only Kevin Durant could do that <laughs> like forty eight forty eight yeah, no minutes kidding. in the game. That was wild. Um, but like you know, you you don't want to go to like an Sova. He'll get he'll get just roasted over the fire defensively um, and it'd be even worse than the favors minute. So, so what do you do play, play by O'Neal O'Neill at center, you know, j- play them 46 to 47 minutes. That doesn't seem conducive to winning either.
0: So the problem that Utah ran into was also a regular season problem, which is they never got anyone ready for small ball.
1: Yeah. They, they don't have the, re- they never had the reps against it. Like it, it'd be it's different. not even the reps against it. They've never had reps with
0: it. Like on yeah. their, on their end, like, I'm not saying it's a panacea and like this will fix everything, but maybe you do play Bogdanovich at the five. Yes, your rim protection is going to suck. Okay, I understand that. But if you go if you go with Clarkson and you go with Mitchell and you go with O'Neal and you go with Ingles and you go with Bogdanovich, there's enough spacing. Honestly, that's better spacing than what the Clippers have, like if we can yeah. be honest about it. And I understand defensively, it's not going to be good. But you got to be able to roll that out there for six, seven minutes, you know, in a half and just live with it because it, it,
1: goes, it goes back to what I said on a, on a on a few shows ago. Like, I I truly believe that in in the playoffs or I guess in, in the NBA in general these days, the defensive answers that you have against a team matter very little compared to how much can you score against them? And that seems very simplistic, but it's like, I, I will maximize my offense, which is what you would get with Bogdanovich at center. And as you said, Clarkson in there for more spacing, I would very much rather maximize my offense. If if you're getting lit up like this with the traditional big.
0: And here's the thing. You can still play Rudy 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. You can play him 40. And in the eight minutes, he's sitting roll with Bogdanovich at center and say, look, man, We're just going to have to carry this like we're going to have to do this. Now, I understand you're going to run. You're going to have to run some minutes in which, you know, Niang's out there and Oni's out there. And, you know, I understand that. But I mean, you got to give yourself a chance because the Clippers don't respect any of the three. They don't respect Derek Favors as a rim protector or an offensive player. I mean, they don't respect Mie Oni. And George Niang hasn't given him any reason to respect him as a shooter. So I, I I don't, and I understand George Niang shot well from three this year. I really do understand that, but there's a difference between shooting well from three in the regular season and being a guy who can space the floor in the postseason. And when you look at the series, he's two of 13. Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I like, they got away with stuff against Memphis because Memphis didn't prepare them for a Clippers team. That was going to play small, which isn't their fault. Like they don't, they don't, Hey, let's play the warriors. And you know, like that, that's not like, you know, you go with what you get. But when you end up looking at uh, the series against Memphis, Niang, eight of 20 from three, you know, obviously Con- they're missing Conley. I understand that. But like their threes were more spread out. Niang got 20. Ingles got 20. O'Neill got 28. Conley had 31. Bogdanovich had 30. These are just attempts. Clarkson had 42. Mitchell had 35. So you're talking, you have seven guys with at least 20 attempts in a five, in a five game series. Like I understand that. And then you look at this series, man. They have five guys with twenty, but like yeah. Mitchell's got sixty-five, Clarkson's <laughs> got forty-nine, Bogdanovich has thirty-eight, and that's primarily because of Game Five, which he took like seventeen.
1: Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's, it's Don- Don- a lot. Donovan's post-game comments about his ankle, like it's only getting worse, and that sucks. Like I really don't want to see that's, that. I mean,
0: uh, yeah, that sucks. I and you know it sucks. So he- injuries.
1: I know, and you know what sucks even more is like hearing about Mike Conley trying to rush it back. And what did I tell? I think we talked about this, like, or I was telling somebody, like, just don't freaking do it. Like, don't come back until you're one hundred and fifty percent healthy. Like the James Harden stuff seems asinine to me to be to be quite frank about it.
0: Um, I think we're seeing the trend of why you have to be careful with injuries. Anthony Davis in the first round. James Harden this round Mike Conley just it's tough though and I recognize why teams are behind the eight ball even players because they want to be out there it's a postseason game and they want to be out there and play I get it it's just I don't know man
1: um uh, I don't what know what was Mike? key Mike Conley was trying to come back after game three or after game two is that after what he said? game
0: two he was trying to play in game three they were up two zero. 0
1: yeah so what wow that's crazy to me that's crazy
0: I mean, I don't know. Um, we didn't even really talk about Paul George.
1: <laughs> Thirty-eight minutes in, and we've and 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 we forgot to talk about which we will for a few minutes. Uh, the the, mo- the gutsiest performance and what I'm going to deem. You know, like I haven't been covering the team that long, as long as you and everyone else. But I'm just going to deem it myself as the the biggest and most important win in franchise history until they win the next game.
0: So when I did my five takeaways after game five, I said it was right on par with Chris Paul's one leg or, or Chris Paul's game seven against the Spurs on one leg after he hurt his hamstring. And it was on par with Kawhi Leonard's game six against Dallas this year, where he just eviscerated them and sent the series back to Los Angeles. Paul George, 40 minutes, 25 seconds. 37 points, 16 rebounds, five assists, two blocks, one steal. Goes 12 of 22 from the field. Is a plus nine and plus minus. And on top of all of that, in his time on the floor, he held Utah players as the as the primary defender. He held them to three of ten shooting and nine points. There were stretches in this game where he was their. I believe even in the fourth quarter, he was their point guard essentially and their rim protector.
1: it it was it was remarkable in every sense of the word really on both ends of the floor as you outlined there and you know how you know know when I got the sense that it was PG's night is somewhere in that first half where he like he would score on and and like just absolutely I guess abuse for lack of a better word Royce O'Neal on a a few possessions and you know Royce O'Neal is a like-sized guy like he's a really good wing defender one of the best in the NBA and and he would just like kind of like look at Royce O'Neal like you like you can't stop this. <laughs> like, like I'm playoff, P. you can't stop this. And, and that's when I knew it, it, it was a different Paul George.
0: Well, the th- the problem this is you and I have talked about this. The, the thing that the Clippers had to realize after games one and two was we're bigger than them. Like, especially with Kawhi and PG, even though they went small, it's like if they're going to put Royce O'Neal on us, j- just shoot over the top of them. Russell O'Neill, 6'4". PG, 6'8". Yeah.
1: Just shoot over like the top size, of him. But, I said like size, but, you know, it, it kind of no, I mean, the, looks you see that them next to the each moment.
0: other, When you yeah. see them next to each other, they are a similar build, but PG's just taller. Yeah, yeah. So, it's like, just shoot over the top of him, man. And he ices the game at the end by just shooting over the top of him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's... You know what The, what the, the my moment... Eye, I, I, I was just gonna say what caught my eye about PG is something that he's been doing a lot better this entire season, uh, or something that he's kind of like put into his toolbox a little bit more is the deceleration. Like when he's when he's attacking the basket and he knows he has a he has Rudy Gobert or you know, Derek Favors or even Royce O'Neal on him, he knows he can use that hard plant of that of that right foot. And or left foot, I guess, maybe, and, and kind of like load into his jump shot and, and stop on a dime. And and all, everyone's momentum, especially Rudy, is kind of like going back towards the paint and, and this guy gets a clean look at a jumper. He he's been doing that a lot uh in these playoffs and, and really like all season.
0: There were several moments in this game where I realized he was he was in a groove, man. Um he has the in-and-out dribble against Gobert in the second quarter where he just rises and fires over the top of him. He has the one where he goes he gets switched onto him and he just dribbles downhill, gets into him, steps back, creates space about ten feet. And Gobert was not within a mile of him. Um I like the fact he took you know, I think he took like nine threes in the game. I like I still like the fact he got to the line and was aggressive driving to the rim. I was okay with most of his mid-range shots, not all of them, but most of them, even if he even if he missed or made them, it didn't matter. I was okay with it. Um, this was a clinical performance. It's the only game in the history of the Los Angeles Clippers postseason history, franchise history in the postseason. Thirty-five points, fifteen rebounds, five assists. It was a it, it was unreal. Um, yeah, I, I I've run out of things to say about him. And and the stretch that he's on these last three games have just been absurd.
1: By the way, like, gotta gotta like, you know, we got to be objective about it. But like, I gotta applaud him for that epic tour de force of a post game press conference. It was great.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was good. Um, PG's been something else. He only player in franchise history, twelve straight, twenty plus. Point games in the postseason. I understand the Clippers <laughs> haven't had a ton of fr- like success in the postseason, but twelve straight's kind of crazy.
1: How did Chris not not score twenty Oh, I guess he's not a you know score? one would be Blake. Yeah. Blake, yes, yeah. How did yeah. Blake not do that?
0: Um I I don't know. Um, or how did Jamal property not,
1: not shoot fifty times to to get that?
0: <laughs> the last three games for PG, 33 points, nine rebounds, five assists. 50% from the field, 45 from three. And he's gotten to the line 7.7 times, playing 40 minutes a night. He is... He's been something else. I, I really am just not going to... There's really not much else I need to say, honestly. Reggie Jackson summed it yeah. up perfectly. perfectly. Paul George is special.
1: Yeah, um, he definitely is. And all NBA for a reason, he said. Uh, "One, I, I guess just like maybe 30 seconds on this. I, I wanted to ask you a question. I had it written down here. What did you think about... Hold on. You actually wrote a question down? Well, on the notes on my computer, I typed in a bullet point. The It says Terrence Mann starting, question mark. <laughs> so, no, I didn't write the question down, but how did you feel about Terrence Mann starting instead of maybe Luke Kennard?
0: I understood it. I didn't like it in the first half. Won me over in the second. Yeah.
1: Good, um, good, summary. I th- good, good summarization, I, I think...
0: I think the problems, so in the first half, the problems the Clippers ran into with Terrence starting was that Utah just stuck Rudy on him and just planted him in the corner and just allowed Rudy to help on things. And yes, the Clippers were still good offensively. I understand that. They scored 60 points in the first half, so obviously they were still good. But in the second half, the biggest change, they used Terrence a lot more as the screener or on handoffs, and they got Rudy involved in a ton of stuff and they were able to generate whatever shot they wanted.
1: Is that because Rudy was was trying to guard, you know, quote-unquote, the, the worst player on the floor and kind of, like, hide him defensively? Or well, not yeah. Not hide him defensively, because- but, like, you know, if you're going to play, if you're going to play against small ball, you have to, like, maybe kind of muck up the game, and that's why Rudy might have been on him.
0: Well, they stuck him on Terrence because, I mean... Terrence shot 40% from three this year, but he's not a willing shooter. It wasn't like he was a high volume, three point shooter. Um, So they just figured, look, if we stick him on Terrence, we can help and recover like it's no big deal. And for the first half at times, it did work. The problem was that I don't know how much Utah actually anticipated this. They don't watch the Clippers like we do all year, obviously, because they're inundated with their own team, as they should be. But how many times this season, Shane, did we see Terrence Mann operate as the roller in small, small pick and rolls? Yeah. How many times did we see him operate as the handoff? How many times did we see him operate as the center and play the five on offense? Quite a bit. I'm not sure Utah was ready for that because in the second half, they killed him. They ran elaborate sets that they normally would not run for, for a center at least Um, they ran double aways for Paul George and had Terrence be the popper. And Rudy was stuck at the mid post wondering what the hell happened. Terrence was wide open on the left wing and knocked down a three. And then by making that three, Rudy had to respect him and he had to come out for him. And then Terrence drives by and dunks on him.
1: Terrence catches everyone off guard with, with the explosiveness because even when he's, when he's catching the ball, like on the short roll or kind of like, um, as, you know, as the as the guard screener, it seems like teams just don't anticipate him doing and being as fast as, as, as he is doing the things that he can do.
0: Terrence, Nick and Marcus really make it work because when they're in the game with, say, PG or Kawhi. You really do have a, a full switching lineup like it doesn't matter. And Utah's not figured out the fact that the Clippers are just going to switch everything. Like it just doesn't matter. Like it just really doesn't matter. Like Utah's running pick and roll. Utah's tried to run pick and rolls and the Clippers are just switching. And it doesn't matter because you're not getting the advantage you need offensively against the switch. If you're a pick and roll heavy team um, with Terrence specifically, his defense has been really good. He's been physical, which is great. Um, he's the one guy besides. Pat who Pat to a lesser degree who can athletically stay with Donovan on the perimeter and getting to the rim with the quick lateral movements and the side to sides and the Euro steps and all that stuff. Um, Not to say he's going to shut down Donovan. Donovan's incredible. Like he really is. Um, The other thing with Terrence offensively is that little 16 footer, the little pull up 16 footer that he's kind of not mastered, but, worked on all year is a big shot because there was a shot in game five. He attacks Rudy's closeout, forces Rudy to backpedal to the rim and just pulls up from 14, 15 feet and sinks a jumper. That's a big yeah. shot at the time. Mm-hmm. And Rudy doesn't, I mean, that's the shot that Utah wants to give up that pull up mid range jumpers. So obviously they're going to give that up, but I'm not sure how much they actually anticipated Terrence man playing. And the role that he would have, and the the malle- the malleability he'd have, and and the and the versatility and the flexibility and all these on all these abilities, whatever you want to call them, like
1: <laughs> they weren't well, ready for it. Well, hell, I, do you blame them for not being ready for it when Terrence didn't play a single minute in Game Two? <laughs> like, that, that, no. Like, time, it, it it it's been it's been weird to be. I guess like, you know, th- that's the best way to put it is it. it has been weird with Terrence's up and down uh, minute load. And, and really, I mean, you had to get to kind of credit him for that, because I don't know of any young player that would thrive uh, in an environment where he doesn't know his playing time night to night. Same with Luke Kennard. Hats yeah. off
0: to him for that. Dude, those guys were out of the rotation the first like four games <laughs> of the Dallas series.
1: Luke couldn't get on. Luke could not even look at the floor in the Dallas series. It's I crazy. do find
0: it interesting that all Luke had to show was a in Game Six in Dallas was that he could show and recover just a couple times, like yeah. at a high level, and that was all they needed to see. And they're like, "We we we can just play him now."
1: Yeah, and, and, and he hey, got on the floor. It's uh, what do they call him? Tinkering tie. Uh, he'll, he'll go through things. He'll go through lineup configurations. And once he finds something that, that he likes, he'll stick with it. So that's, uh, that's what we've seen so far.
0: And going through the series, it does feel like the first two games were trying to get guys rest, especially game one.
1: Yeah. Trying to get them rest and figure out what the hell they're going to do against this team that they had really like no time to even watch film for. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh game one obviously he
0: plays the eleven guys, game two he plays ten, and Demarcus plays, and Demarcus hasn't played since. And Rondo yeah. really hasn't played since since game one. I mean, he plays nine minutes in game five, but and I understand I I I've been I, I was banging the table yesterday watching game five, just going, You can't play Rondo, you can't play Rondo, you can't play Rondo, but I understood why he had to play. Because You needed a ball handler on the floor even for a couple minutes, and PG had to rest even for a couple minutes, and you needed guys to get a rest. And if you're going to give up just a couple points, or I mean they gave up nine, but if if you give up a couple points here and there because you're trying to steal guys' rest, I can kind of understand it when you're dealing with a rotation that is being shortened, one, by Kawhi's injury, and two, by the fact you're having to play guys extended minutes off of that.
1: Yeah, you have to. You you got to at least throw got guys out there whenever you are depleted. You know, I, I think that's what some people, um, you know, they see that Kawhi is a wing player, then and and obviously like that just means that he's not able to play. But but like the Clippers don't don't have that many other wings. You have to go. You have to go with uh, the guards out there. So I think Rondo did a good job of, uh, not not a good job, but uh, Rondo at least soaked up some minutes that were needed. I guess. I guess that's the only thing you can say. Soaked up the minutes.
0: He actually had some nice rebounds. I know that sounds like a weird like thing to point out, but I really actually did. He had a rebound, um, offensive rebound, where he g- grabbed it at the nail out of the air and like one touch passed it to Marcus on the wing. And Been I was just like, that is it. actually insane.
1: Been doing it since oh Oh 07. I bet you Doc
0: misses him. <laughs> Anyways, that's my one Doc jab for the night.
1: I'm just, I- I'm a Danilo Gallinari fan. Like, that's what I am. I'm a I'm a, I'm a Gallo fan.
0: Gotta love Gallo. Um, yeah. I'm really happy if Gallo and Lou get to the conference finals. I'm be, I'm 100% serious. Like, I would be over the moon for those guys because of how hard they've... Like, how, how many, hard they
1: work and how much they meant to the team. I'm putting you on the spot, and I do not blame you if you don't know this, but how many conference finals has Lou been to? None? One? None, I think. Holy hell. And it, and it might come under... Nate McMillan on a team that he did not anticipate being with? Like, that's crazy.
0: No, it's not even the fact that's against Nick's, Nate
1: McMillan on a team. Uh, like, he's going against his old coach. Oh, yeah. Well, that we've been talking about that for a while.
0: Yeah, he's never been to the conference finals. Wow. Played 87 years in the NBA, never been to the conference <laughs> finals. Kind of wild, actually. Uh, I don't think Gallo has Gallo. Gallo might have been with. No, Gallo hasn't. Has he Denver? No, because I think he was actually out of Denver by then.
1: Because yeah. cause the
0: Carmelo Denver team made it.
1: Yeah. OK.
0: Yeah, he's never been to the car. Con- this is actually the most. Uh, I think this is the first time he's actually been out of the first round.
1: Oh, my God. What? Yeah, because uh,
0: 2011, they lose in five to OKC 2012. They lose in seven to the Lakers. 2019, he loses with the Clippers in six to Golden State. And last year, they lost in seven to Houston. Wow. It's The first time he's ever been in the second round. He Cross got a major. You, Gallo. He,
1: he got a major payday and more playoff success. Like, wow.
0: What a legend.
1: How old is he? I'm he's like 32? only 32? <laughs> only. Only. <laughs> it feels like he's 36. I'm sorry.
0: I mean, with his injuries that he's had. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know what game six is going to hold. Uh, Everyone listening to this on Friday before game six, I don't know. I mean, it is the it is the first time in over a year that Staples Center will be full capacity with fans. It is a closeout game for the Clippers. If they win, they will go to their first ever conference finals in franchise history. That place has to be rocking. It has to be rowdy. It has to be rugged. It has to be rambunctious. I've run out of R words in my dictionary. <laughs> it has to be whatever. You, like It's got to be crazy. It, it, it's got to be a scene and an atmosphere. Um. Kawhi won't play. But this team hasn't given up all year. They didn't give up when they were down by twenty whatever against Atlanta in the second half of that home game when they rolled out their when they took the starters off the floor. They didn't roll over in that Memphis home game when they had like six healthy bodies and were down by twenty in the first quarter. They didn't roll over against Dallas after dropping the first two games at home. They didn't roll over after dropping game five at home to Dallas. They didn't roll over in game seven. They didn't roll over after losing the first two to Utah. They didn't roll over in game five against Utah after finding out Kawhi was out. This team fights and it is the culture and the identity that Ty Liu has ingrained in them from the from the get go this season, which is a remarkable job by him. or lose in this series. The job that Ty Lu has done this season and this postseason is absolutely marvelous and just incredible. Um, I don't know if they win game six, Shane, but I know they're yeah. going to give it their their <laughs> their damnedest to do it.
1: Well, I, I you know, you just hope for you hope for a close game, you hope for a good game. Uh, you don't I don't I don't want to see it blow it either way uh, <laughs> I want so I want some chaos because uh, that's what this entire postseason run has been is chaos so
0: I I just uh, it's been a year it's been a hell of a it's been a it's been the longest shortest season in NBA history
1: yeah and no, it's in it, it, either way or I guess not either way but I guess to close out here if the Clippers do win they will make history tw- like twice, like two times the history. Like no team has ever come back from 0-2 twice in a single postseason. And they, they would do that. And then they would obviously make franchise history.
0: And they're the only team in the history of the NBA postseason to have multiple victories when giving up at least twenty threes to an opponent. And both of them have happened this postseason. And when I say they're the only team to do it multiple times, I don't mean like in one postseason. I mean ever ever
1: <laughs> I have teams have only <laughs> lost
0: teams have only lost eight times in the history of the playoffs when they've made 23s and in fact a couple of those games are teams against each other both making 23 so someone had to lose god but the clippers ga- game three against dallas i believe and, and game five against utah both of them on the road backs against the wall
1: <laughs> this team is absurd it, it is and my final final words Justin I have a question for you how how hammered is Steve Ballmer going to be if they win how hammered will I, he I get just that night? I
0: just I just don't think he'll actually exi- exist anymore like he'll just <laughs> like like if the Clippers won game six to advance to the conference finals like if you just watch Steve Ballmer he would just like poof into a ball of air <laughs> And that would be it. (laughs) And he would just slowly rise and dissipate in the atmosphere of Staples Center as Clipper fans inside Staples Center (laughs) sobbed tears of joy at at their team actually winning and getting to their first ever conference finals. Folks, the first 50 years of this franchise all ended the same. They never made the conference finals. I guess it would be rather poetic and fitting that it that if in year 51, they made it. And that's how I'm choosing to view it. That's how I'm choosing to leave this. Shane, thanks for coming on. Where can everyone find you and find your work?
1: I might have to just stop saying where people can find me because I've said it so many times, but yeah. Yeah, okay, Honestly, yeah, no,
0: okay, we're done. You don't need to tell me. Yeah, no, I don't need to I'm tell it, you off. I don't want to do if, it anymore. If you, if you need Shane, just look him up at uh, at Young NBA, you can find him there. You can find him on Forbes Sports. I'll do it for you, okay? Okay. Um, and if you need him in Los Angeles, he's in a hotel room bunker somewhere, muting his microphone every thirty seconds just because there's stuff happening outside. I love it. It's great. Um,
1: I'll Shane, see you tomorrow, Justin.
0: I will see. I will see you for Game Six. That is going to be an experience. Uh, win or lose, it's going to be an experience. I uh, I really hope they win because. <laughs> the the tension of a game seven is a little bit higher than it is for a game one. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, at least we know the Clippers are playing Sunday afternoon, baby. It's either going to be game one of the conference finals or game seven of the of the uh, conference semis. Either way, they're taking a plane ride. Here's the hoping they end up in Phoenix on Sunday. Everybody take it easy. Stay safe we're probably going to see you after game six if they win you're going to get a podcast if the clippers win right after game six so everybody stay safe take it easy social distance wear your mask yada 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 go clippers game six upon us baby let's go